0: So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode.
1: What's going on, guys? Eric, the bearded vet here digital media coordinator for VA Claims Insider. On behalf of all of us at VA Claims Insider, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for helping us make this a great year for us. We hope that these videos have empowered you, have informed you and educated you in the VA claims process. This is VA Claims Insider's Year in Review, our top video for every month through the year. Click the description below. You'll find the link to all the videos featured in our year in review. If you're stuck, if you're frustrated, if you keep getting denied on your own, you can always sign up at www.vaclaimsinsiderelite.com and to get started for free. You'll be assigned a veteran coach who will be able to help you, educate you, and walk that journey with you. Make sure to check out VA Claims Insider in 2021 for more great information new topics, new tips and tricks, to help you get that rating and compensation that you deserve. Thank you, have a great day, and we'll see you next year.
0: There's really one way you can figure it out right away. You can log into eBenefits, okay? Once you're logged in, scroll to the top, okay, and there's columns up there, and you can hover your mouse over uh, the column and the button that says Manage. So hover your mouse over Manage, then click Documents and Records, and then VA Letters. And finally, click the Benefit Summary Verification. Okay, Benefit Summary, Veterans Benefits. Click it, and that's going to open up. You can actually generate a, a PDF document from that, or you can just read it on the screen. But it says in the section, it'll say literally, okay, and this is in quotes you are considered to be totally and permanently disabled, due solely to your service-connected disabilities. It's either gonna say yes, or it's gonna say no, okay? That's one way you can check. Um, And it's also gonna explain, by the way, in that benefit summary uh, verification, if you're receiving special monthly compensation, okay? Which is an additional benefit that you can be owed, okay? Now this is a really big one because there's so much confusion about this. Okay, who wants to know? Can you apply to be 100% P and T? Say yes. Who wants to know that? Yes, everybody's saying yes. <laughs> okay, you don't really apply for P and T because P and T is determined by the VA. Okay, in the VA alone. However, you can apply to be deemed permanently and totally disabled. I'm gonna say that again. The VA solely decides if you meet the definition of P&T by law, um, but you can apply. So if you're a 100% scheduler and you want to try to go for p and you can open up a new claim on either ebenefits or va.gov. And one of the things you can do is you can write a statement in support of a claim on the VA form 21-4138 Okay. You personally write that. You could also get a buddy letter from a spouse or somebody who's lived with you, and you can explain that your conditions are static. You can literally write to the raider, my conditions have been static and unchanged for the past 10 years, 15 years, right? And in my opinion, they're not going to improve. In fact, they're getting worse or they're likely to get worse, okay? You can also ask your doctor, your primary care doctor, you could ask a VA doctor, or you could ask one of our doctors to review your record inside of Elite, and you can get a letter requesting 100% P&T status, okay? And the doctor should explain in their medical opinion the likelihood of your conditions improving, okay, based upon what they review. A disability exam, the medical evidence of record, okay? um, They have to explain that. In their medical opinion, do you meet or do you not meet the definition of permanence, okay? Meaning your conditions are static and unlikely to improve. Guys, if you're already service connected for conditions, but you're underrated, chances are you haven't proven that your symptoms warrant the higher rating criteria under the law, okay? So one of the ways you do that is you start documenting how your symptoms are now worse, okay? So that's tip number one. I see the chat lighting up. People are like, oh my God, I didn't know I could do that. (laughs) Yeah, you totally can, okay? So that's tip number one. Okay, tip number two, go for high-value VA disability claims. What does that mean? It's a made-up term, okay? We made it up. A high-value VA disability claim is a disability with a high likelihood of being rated at 30% or on its own, okay, 30% or higher on its own, versus a low-value claim are things that are rated less than that. Low-value claims, guys, are typically things like hearing loss, tinnitus or tinnitus, the ringing in your ear, um, muscular skeletal conditions, pain issues, those are usually zeros, tens, limitation range of motion, if it's not very severe, 10%, right? If you've had surgery, maybe 20% with severe conditions, okay? But if you're trying to go for 100% VA rating and you believe you deserve that by law, right? If you're at 86% combined, right? Well, then that rounds up to 90, right? But if you're at 86% for seven conditions and you had an eighth condition that's rated at 10%, right, and then you add a ninth condition that's rated 10%, you're still gonna be at 90, right, because you're battling the VA's fuzzy math, okay? So in many cases, the only way to get there mathematically is to layer in some high-value VA disability claims. What are high-value claims? Mental health conditions, okay? As of right now, 2020, there's 31 rateable mental health conditions under the law. They can be filed primary, they can be filed secondary, Okay, you can file for increases on those claims if you're already service connected but underrated. Secondary chronic pain syndrome, right? Secondary somatic symptom disorder is a high value claim. Migraines and headaches, very commonly rated at 30% or higher. Sleep apnea, very commonly rated at 50%. IBS, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, that can be rated up to 60%. In fact, I just wrote a post uh, on that. It's called GERD VA Rating Explained, the expert's guide. Okay, so if you go to VA Claims Insider slash blog, you'll see it where I, I break down GERD, right? Acid reflux, regurgitation. If you've got major issues with that and it's affecting your work, your life, your social functioning, you should consider going for an IBS or a GERD or a migraines or a mental health claim. Okay, and don't forget also to go secondary. We're going to talk about that in tip number four, okay? But the bottom line is, if you're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and you're trying to go for 100, and you're not going to go for individual unemployability, right, TDIU, you got to layer in some high-value claims or you're not going to get there mathematically. All musculoskeletal conditions, before we go to the third one, bottom line, bar none, come down to two things, guys. Every single time it comes down to two things, pain and limitation of range of motion, okay? Pain, meaning on a scale of zero to 10, how much pain are you in at that moment? Okay, so for example, when you go to your compensation and pension exam for a muscular skeletal condition, it's very likely you're gonna start completing an intake questionnaire, and eventually the doctor's gonna get around to asking you on a zero to 10 scale how much pain you're in, okay? Hey, on a scale of zero to 10, with 10 being the worst, how much pain are you in today? Well, if you tell them you're a zero, right, you go, ah, I'm a one, I'm doing okay today, but you're really not, or, right? Or, right? Veterans are very, very bad at, at telling somebody and being vulnerable about what's really going on, okay? Why? Because we're from the suck it up, right? We're from the military culture of you don't complain, you don't whine, you don't bitch, you suck it up and you move on, right? We get the mission done. That's what we do, right uh but now that you're a veteran gang it's not that you get the mission done anymore it's that you need to be vulnerable okay when you're in your compensation and pension exam do not hold back on anything tell them everything going on with you all right tell them how much pain you're in if you're at a seven tell them you're at a seven okay you gotta be honest you gotta be vulnerable about that okay that's the first thing pain the second thing is limitation of range of motion if you look at ECFR, Title 38, Part 4, the Schedule for Rating Disabilities, guys, all muscular skeletal conditions come down to pain and limitation of range of motion. Okay? Limitation of range of motion should, I'm going to emphasize, should uh, be measured by what's called a goniometer. Okay? A goniometer is what the C&P examiner is going to use. It's basically like a caliper's. And they should be using that to measure your range of motion, your free range, available range of motion, and then your limitation, okay? So for example, let's say I filed a claim for my left finger, okay? And you're basically stating that I'm in chronic pain in my finger because, I don't know, you you got an accident while you were driving a Humvee um, in support of a pre-deployment training, okay? And it's documented that you had this finger injury. Well, maybe you've had surgery now on the finger for more range of motion, okay? They've gone in and tried to repair it, remove scar tissue, okay? If you go into your compensation and pension exam, the doctor is gonna take your finger and they're gonna examine it, okay? They're gonna perform what's called a physical examination. So they're gonna touch it, look at it, um, see what's going on, see if there's damage. They're gonna ask you about the pain and then they should tell you to bend it, okay? Hey, I want you to bend your finger for me, uh, veteran, and tell me when you start to feel pain or when you can't move it anymore, okay? Well, if you're in pain, but the doctor just takes your finger and pushes it all the way down, and you push it down, and and you're like, okay, well, that's that. Guess what's going to happen, guys? Inside of your compensation and pension exam notes, it's going to say veteran had full range of motion and no pain, right? Full flexion which means you're probably going to get a 0% rating. Versus if you make the doctor stop immediately and they start moving your finger and right about here you say, stop, I can't move it past there without pain. Okay, now the veteran should take the goniometer and measure the range of motion, mark up the limitation. That's probably a 10% rating. Okay, so you guys, you if you're going to file a musculoskeletal condition, guys, You got to be prepared for that compensation pension exam, guys, and it comes down to pain and limitation of range of motion. You always have to have the diagnosis. You need to have a medical diagnosis. It needs to be documented and diagnosed in either your active duty military service treatment records, okay, VA medical records, or any private records. Okay, there's a common misconception that that diagnosis needs to be from active duty. That's Absolutely not true. Okay, you can have a medical diagnosis anywhere at any time, but you're gonna need one. So if you think you've got migraine headaches, obstructive sleep apnea, post traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, somatic symptom disorder, you have to have those medically diagnosed, okay, first. So go do that. Go do that. So that's number one. The second thing. You have to just be able to show that you're already service-connected for tinnitus, right? And the way you might do that is you have it inside of VA.gov or eBenefits, right? You're already service-connected for it. You can also talk about it in your personal statement, okay? The third thing, and is absolutely critical, and what a lot of veterans miss, what a lot of attorneys miss, what a lot of VSOs miss is by law, there has to be something called medical nexus evidence. I'm going to say that again. Medical nexus evidence. Establishing a connection between the service-connected tinnitus and the disability that you're trying to service connect. Migraine headaches, generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, somatic symptom disorder, also known as chronic pain syndrome, some type of sleep apnea okay there has to be a link there has to be a medical nexus link through evidence establishing that one can be proximately due to or aggravated by the other without that link gang i can virtually guarantee you'll be denied okay so what you need is something called a medical nexus letter It's also sometimes called an independent medical opinion, an IMO, um, and I recommend you get one. Guess what? We can help you, okay? We have independent medical providers in our referral network who can review your records, who can conduct a disability examination, okay? They can do a disability benefits report, a DBR, okay? Um, Or they can do an independent medical opinion, if warranted, if deserved, and if they believe that there truly is a medical nexus. Is there a logical link or a connection to an in-service incident or series of incidents? That's all that means. It's a fancy legal term, nexus, to mean logical link that's it. What do I mean by a logical link? Well, here would be a slam dunk scenario. Let's say you were deployed in Afghanistan in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. You were bombed all the time, rockets, mortars, indirect fire. Maybe you were outside the wire. You were directly engaged in combat with the enemy. Maybe you even were were witness to uh, soldiers who were KIA'd um, and some really unfortunate things because of combat, okay? If you then returned home and developed post-traumatic stress disorder, right? You're having nightmares, insomnia, panic attacks, as a result of what happened to you in combat. That's a clear example of direct service connection for a primary disability, okay, which in the example I just gave would be PTSD combat. It happened while you were on active duty, it's probably well-documented, in either incident reports, personal statements, buddy letters, you've got medical evidence to show it, you fill out a PTSD stressor form. maybe you have uh, combat medals, like a combat action badge, uh, maybe you got a special certificate or a medal or a citation, and award from while you were deployed, and all of those things you use and upload in support of your claim for combat PTSD. That would be an example, again, of direct Service connection. Your service, your combat deployment directly caused your PTSD. Okay, there were clear in service stressors and an incident, your deployment uh, and the horrible experiences you went through that caused or made your PTSD worse. Okay, now what happens though, again, that's uh, service connection and direct service connection. Okay, then the second part though is or caused or made worse by another service-connected disability in your body, okay? For secondary service connection. And then part three of the test under the law is severity of symptoms. How are your disabilities currently limiting or affecting your life, okay? Your work, your life, your social functioning. those and that's what it comes down to. So if you have a diagnosis, in one, if you're proving either direct service connection or secondary service connection in two, and you're able to get it service connected, then it comes down to how bad are your symptoms? Because ultimately the level of impairment and limitation you have in your work, your life, your social functioning, that is what ties directly to the disability rating for that condition under the law. Now, by far the most commonly claimed and rated disabilities are musculoskeletal conditions. Hips, joints, backs, knees, right? Arms, shoulders, knees, feet, ankles, etc. cetera. Musculoskeletal disabilities, okay? Now today though, we're gonna break that down and expand that framework of musculoskeletal conditions into the back okay commonly looked at in the spine okay now in general the VA disability ratings for back conditions range from 10% to 100% okay now it's very very rare for somebody to get a 100% rating for their back unless you literally have a spine that's frozen right like you you cannot move and it's literally caused significant work life and social functioning issues. Okay. Unfavorable motion meaning you you literally are are locked. It's frozen. Okay. But more commonly is veterans with their back ratings are typically rated around 10%, 20, 30, 50, 60. Okay. It really depends on how the VA decides to rate you. Okay. Now with all muscular skeletal conditions. Okay. So I want you to be thinking about, even if you're here, hearing my voice right now, live on Facebook or live on YouTube, you're watching the recording later on, maybe you don't have a back condition. Okay. Knock on wood. I I don't have a back condition. Okay. I'm not rated for anything with my back. Um, But I have other muscular skeletal conditions. And all muscular skeletal conditions are very similar. So even if you don't have a back issue, I want you to turn your brain on and be asking yourself this question of how does this apply to me? Okay, because I guarantee you there's some nuggets in here that you can walk away from today's uh, training, today's teaching, and you can apply this to you, okay, in your situation. Okay, so bottom line, all VA disability ratings come down to the frequency severity and duration of symptoms okay symptoms now for muscular skeletal conditions it really comes down to three areas which is pain painful motion limitation of range of motion okay sometimes known as a rom test it's a limitation of movement okay and then something called functional loss or impairment whatever medications you're taking communicate those things with your doctors, and I actually think it's a good idea to let them know how you're doing, right? Tell them what's going on in your life. Tell them if you're in a ton of pain, tell them. If you're not sleeping well, tell them, right? If your mental health symptoms are getting progressively worse and they're acting up, tell them, okay? You can use that feature Right on my Healthy Vet. It's super easy, you guys. You literally log into my Healthy Vet. Um, you can scroll to the top, and it says secure messaging. Send a secure message to uh, to your healthcare providers. You open it up, and it's literally like sending little chat messages. Okay, and uh, I recommend you do this because even if you don't go to the VA for treatment, you can be continually documenting your medical records. Okay. So that's step number one. Now, why do I say that? That's a you know somehow a tip to get you 100% VA rating, guys. If you're already service connected for conditions, but you're underrated, chances are you haven't proven that your symptoms warrant the higher rating criteria under the law. What are the two, three, four, five things that are causing me significant issues in my work, my life? My social functioning, are they high value, low value claims? A high value claim is a disability condition that has a very high likelihood of getting rated at 30% or higher on its own, right? Mm -hmm. So those are things like mental health conditions, um, sleep apnea, radiculopathy, right? Which is nerve damage and issues up and down your spinal cord, um, migraine headaches or any type of headaches, irritable bowel syndrome is one. Um, there's there's a plethora, plantar fasciitis, the heel pain, uh, sometimes back conditions, lumbar strains, depending on how serious they are. Um, and then you heard Alan also mention if you're an older vet and you were in Vietnam and you believe you were exposed to herbicides, right? Agent orange exposure that have led to you developing certain forms of cancer in rare conditions. Uh, You really need to be thinking about that stuff in your disability claim strategy. And that's what a coach can help you unlock uh, and unleash for you so that you get what you deserve from the VA, right? And then um, the other thing that I think vets really need to think about as they're going through this process is, like I said, with that scalpel, being very clear and concise, telling your true story. You got to know it cold. And you have to be able to articulate how those conditions are limiting or affecting your life, right? Your work, your life, your social functioning. The reason that's important, fellow vets, is the reason that you're granted a percentage, whether it's 10%, zero, you know, whatever, 30, 50, 100 percent, you're actually being compensated for loss. And it's actually defined under the code as economic loss. So you're being compensated by the government for the disability conditions that are limiting or affecting you in a negative way. And it's so important that you're able to articulate how those conditions are affecting you.
1: I'm a hundred percent a fan of every claim should have a personal statement. Okay. One disability, one personal statement it should be a one to one ratio because every disability is important and you want to be able to, you want to be able to articulate and get your story out there to the rater. Cause again, this is a complex, this
0: is a complex system, a complex web. And unfortunately sleep apnea, when they see sleep apnea,
1: automatically it's like uh, there's a little there's a little jadedness there okay so you got to really dig in and explain it go ahead
0: i feel like (laughs) we're on wedding crashers right now (laughs) (laughs) i loved your oreo analogy by the way it's a whole bunch of vets are commenting in they're like this is amazing information this is exactly what i needed to hear okay secret tip the number one most common reason why va disability claims for sleep apnea are denied is this you did not have a sleep study done on active duty okay which means you did not get a diagnosis for sleep apnea while you wore the uniform okay so here we are years later and whether you file for direct service connection for for obstructive sleep apnea central sleep apnea mixed it doesn't matter or you go secondary Sleep apnea secondary to PTSD, sleep apnea secondary to migraine, sleep apnea secondary to plantar fasciitis, sleep apnea secondary to chronic pain, whatever, okay? In all cases, it doesn't matter how long you've been out of service, you must have a sleep study done. That sleep study must confirm a diagnosis of some type of sleep apnea, okay? And you need to really be thinking about what is the cause or the aggravation of that sleep apnea? okay, through the aggravated obesity. So the number one reason why are sleep apnea claims denied? The most common linkage, according to medical research as of right now, for why people develop obstructive sleep apnea is weight gain or obesity. And remember, we just told you there is no VA disability claim or rating for obesity. So what we're seeing is these crap VA C&P examiners Contracted C and P examiners, nurse practitioners over the phone, in many cases, who probably didn't even review your claim, they're looking at your pre-service, service, and post-service body weight, height, and body mass index, and they're going, "Wait a minute!" Richard Shaminsky weighed one hundred and seventy pounds when he left the service, and today he's one hundred and sixty. Don't go
1: there. Don't, I don't want to go. I'm so
0: today like... he's he's. <laughs> more than he was when, <laughs> when he left the service. Brian Reese is more than I was when I wore the uniform. Okay. But they're using that to deny sleep apnea claims because they're saying, no, your obstructive sleep apnea is not due to your service. It's because you're fat. That's what they're telling you. They're telling you in a nice way, that you're fat. And that's your fault. And that's why they're going to deny service connection. But again, what we're telling you is, hold on a second. Side effects of medications, one of the most common side effects of antidepressants, weight gain, obesity, a side effect of somebody with a severe mental health condition, overeating due to depression, anxiety, anger, panic attacks. Okay. Guess what? A common issue with somebody who's suffering from severe service-connected disabilities like a chronic pain condition, uh, physical conditions, muscular skeletal problems, knees, feet, you've probably had major life limitations in the amount of physical activity that you can perform. That's, That's why VA Claims Insider exists. We make VA benefits easy, okay? No, that's not an oxymoron. We make it easy so that you can stop fighting and struggling all alone. Reason number three, I was previously denied VA benefits and so I gave up, okay? Now that, this can be super frustrating, okay? I've personally been denied VA benefits, some or all in the past, Um, and it can feel like a a kick in the teeth, right? It can really, really hurt um, when you believe that you deserve benefits for your honorable service to our nation, and then somebody at the VA says, yeah, no, you don't, right? Or, or you get a bad compensation and pension examiner, a C&P exam, okay? We're going to teach you guys how to fight back, okay? Because sometimes it's a slugfest and you got to get up, get back in the ring, swing back and punch somebody in the nose, okay? And we're going to help you do that. We're going to arm you with the personalized strategy with the expert level education and the medical evidence you need to get the VA benefits you deserve, even if you've been previously denied. There's some other types of service connection as well. There's secondary service connection, there's presumptive service connection, and there's something called aggravation of a pre-service disability condition. Okay, And again, I'm going to address all these again as we step through this presentation. And then the third and final thing is you must have persistent and reoccurring symptoms of that disability condition into the present day. And I usually like to ask fellow vets, you need to answer this question in a personal statement Okay, on the VA form uh, 21-4138. It's called a statement in support of a claim. And for each one, you need to tell the VA directly, this is how my disability is limiting or affecting my life in a negative way. Okay, so these are the three primary criterion that I want you to be thinking about as we step through this today. Okay, now, one of the other things that we give you at VA Claims Insider is personalized strategy which includes high value and low value claim. Vets think that post-traumatic stress disorder has to be due to combat. That's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. There are actually two types of post-traumatic stress disorder claims. There's PTSD combat, and then there's PTSD non-combat. Now, in our experience, It's the non-combat claims that can sometimes be even worse. An example of a PTSD non-combat claim would be a military sexual assault or a military sexual harassment situation. And that event triggered you to now have this extreme anxiety or fear of dying due to this trauma that you suffered. Okay, that can be just as bad or worse than combat. Now the key with uh, all post-traumatic stress disorder claims and what make them different from the other 30 uh, rateable mental health condition is that PTSD always has stressors. I'm gonna say that again. Post-traumatic stress disorder claims always have stressors. A stressor is defined by the VA as that point in time or that incident or event that triggered or caused the PTSD you now suffer from, okay? So let me give you an example of a PTSD combat stressor. Let's say you were deployed to Iraq and at the location you were at, you were constantly rocketed and mortared, right? And those rockets and mortars caused you so much fear and stress and anxiety that it led to PTSD, okay? The rocket attacks, the mortar attacks would be considered the stressor event of the combat that led to your PTSD. If you can't prove your PTSD stressor, high likelihood that your PTSD claim is going to get denied. Let me give you an example of PTSD non-combat stressor, kind of already talked about it, a military sexual assault would be an example of the stressor that led to the development of post-traumatic stress disorder And, and there are many others. Uh, We've seen Navy vets who develop PTSD as a result of getting trapped in a confined space, right? They thought they were gonna die, which I'll share a a quick secret with everybody here. Here's a great litmus test on if your PTSD stressor is good enough. Did you or did you not fear for your life? If the answer is yes, your PTSD stressor is probably good enough. If the answer is no, your PTSD stressor is probably not good enough. In the absence of evidence to help prove your PTSD stressor event, this is where buddy statements become so crucial.